back for another episode of uh, the A Push Me Off a Cliff, the podcast no one asked for, uh, but everyone wants. I wonder if we're internet famous yet. <laughs> I don't think it's happened yet. We haven't really built up our uh, our like our base, or like our, our followers yet. But yeah. I'm, I'm sure after this, after period five, if it's not going to happen now. And I'm just glad. I'm just glad that I'm not in a classroom because my hair is out of control right now. I've got like obviously, uh, it is. You look a little bit like like the dystopian future is now. It is, well, yeah, <laughs> it's happening. Died. Uh, it is. We live in a hellscape. Um, yep. So so shout outs. Shout outs. Let's do shout outs. Okay, so shout outs. Um, I'll start. Um, I'm going to shout out Matt and Jamie for being. Uh, what what can I say about Matt that has not already been said? No, I don't know. Uh, Matt, at the beginning of the school year, we had a rocky uh, relationship. There was some antagonism, I think. Mm. I don't know if Matt would agree. I felt that way, though. But then Matt grew on me, I have to be honest. He's one of my faves. He's he ne- It always appears like he has no idea. He's not really fully get, like paying attention and invested, but he always does know what's going on, and I respect, I respect that. So shout out to Matt uh, for killing the game, for killing the game. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give a shout out to my uh, favorite pair of a push twins, Valentina and Elizabeth. And here's what's unfair about the quarantine or lockdown or wherever the hell we're in. Right. When I was starting to figure out who was who. Okay. And I mean, this was March. Starting to figure it out. Once I started to figure out, once I could start to tell the difference between the two of them, next thing you know, you know, the world just got pulled out from under us and we got sent home. So they basically are the same, the same person. Yeah. So now, now I feel like I, I will, I've regressed. So I apologize in my shout out to Valentina and Elizabeth, but we were so close. We were there, or at least I was. That's a stressful place to be. I had a few years ago. This is, it doesn't make a difference because no one knows these people and you probably don't but it'd be stressful uh you know what else was stressful period five the period ah yes listen i'm here for a segue here the garage the garage the, the garage. that's a good segue well you know so i'll i i think about it's it's the civil war you guys you probably have heard of it before what actually hold on shout out to meredith prince that one time that she was like we didn't learn about the civil war did we and everyone was let's be honest meredith horrified but it's okay it's okay because we were like we clarified that we had we had discussed the Civil War, uh, and it was a thing that had happened. And Meredith will now never forget, never forget the Civil War. But yeah, never forget. And you know who doesn't forget the Civil War? In my experience, uh, Ms. Basson are Southerners. Yeah, they're still bitter because they. Yeah. Love- I think I think I've shared this story with you, and and half of my class has heard it, but I'll share it with the rest of your group because they haven't. But. I once got myself in a lot of trouble because I might have provoked uh, a Southerner uh, to the, I mean, I didn't think much of it at the time, but I, I went there and I'll reveal, reveal what I did in a second. But um, I, I, I got punched in the face. Um, well, I really, I mean, yeah, it was a punch. We'll call it a punch. It was an open handed slap to the face. Um, and I've been, and I've been, and, and the reason why I'm calling it a punch, because I've been punched in the face before, but that doesn't matter. And this hurt more than other, this, this hurt more than other punches that I've received. But anyway, so here's the con- contextualization, right? Important skill. 
Um, I'll, I'll give you the abbreviated form. Boston College versus Virginia Tech football game. I'm in the Virginia Tech student section. Oddly enough, at Boston College, but that doesn't matter right now. Don't worry. And I'm this. I'm not a student. I'm a man. I'm a full-grown adult. I like how you just clarified. I'm not. I, I was not a student. I'm a man, which yeah. would be difficult for. I just want to do another shout out. Nick Dresens, both a student and a man. So it's always hard to figure out. Hi, Nick. Anyways, um. <laughs> I was in my late 20s in the student section, and this was back during the, I think it was Marcus Vick was playing, not Michael Vick. My sports fans will be like, okay. okay. So I was, there was a woman, there was a, another young woman who was um, intoxicated, we shall say, and she went on and on about how much she hated Boston. Wait, wait, wait. So let me just clarify. The person who hit you in the face was a woman. Uh, yes. That was the other part of the story. Okay. So I was, she was standing in front of me and I was with all of my alumni friends and uh, she could pick up, I guess, on my accent and determine that I was from, I was a Yankee and um, proceeded to a uh, bad mouth all of, not just like Boston, but New England, Massachusetts, just anything in the Northeast. And so I, I finally had enough because she got right, I wasn't even talking to her, but she got right in my face like with drunk spittle coming off her, her lip and stuff like that. And I looked down at her and I don't know what came over me, but all I said to her, or not said I yelled, oh yeah, who won the war? And like record stops. And she looks at me and she goes, what did you fucking say to me? And then grabs me by my throat and cold cocks me right in front of the entire Virginia Tech student section. And all of my friends started dying laughing. Her friends pig piled on top of her. And I'm like, oh my God, this is going to turn into a huge fight with, you know, Yankees versus people from Virginia. And, and luckily security escorted her out and like her friends apologized and all that stuff. But it's weird because people from uh, like Virginia Tech, that's like Western Virginia. That's like mountain country. Like that's not, they were union sympathizers, but she, yeah, no, I know. the Civil War still burned deep in her soul yeah, and it would. i mean obviously there's so many lingering tensions about it uh and that girl is the absolute worst yes uh, because like let's be honest if you had to take a side like yeah. it's not a hard side to take but but let's discuss yeah let's discuss uh for, for our, our students who are currently listening and other maybe any other unlucky listeners who are with us right now um so we're not going to need to talk too much about uh, the Mexican-American War Manifest Destiny, but obviously that is going to draw attention to these sectional rivalries. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so the period, so period five, uh, what, are, what are the, yeah, 1840. Bookend it, Oh, okay. I want to talk all about Reconstruction. So if you want to handle, uh, you know, slavery, the, the views regarding slavery, about you know the spectrum of opinion that's fine because i could talk about reconstruction all day long the yes. owner were here oh man you know so yeah the bookend dates 1844 to 1877 we're not going to get into 1844 because you guys know that now that's going to be the mexican war expansion manifest destiny 1877 being the end of reconstruction miss basson's going to jump into that um, we do have a special guest as well today, Ms. Basson, that we're going to be interviewing for those that are um, listening. Oh, um, he will be. He is the 
Uh, oh, and he needs an invite, actually. We have to, he says he needs the invite. He need an invite. He, he can't get in. I, I will invite him momentarily, but. Okay. It's the world's oldest uh, surviving Confederate Army member, veteran. Yeah. Still alive today. Yeah, so, so why don't we do this? So one of the, the uh, concerns in, or not concerns, one of the, the students were like, hey, could you give us some more clarity about you know major themes? So the major themes in this period are obviously, you're gonna be dealing with uh, partisan rivalries over slavery, the formation of the Republican Party, the failure of compromise, increasingly the violence, the bloodshed associated with things like you know bleeding Kansas, um, and uh, all of those events that my, my daughter screaming, obviously, um, all of those events kind of culminating in um, Abraham Lincoln's election in 1860, the election itself. I, I think the 1850s are fairly straightforward in terms of this inexorable march towards war. Um, but it is really important to know why compromise worked in the first half of the 19th century and then beginning in 1850, increasingly why uh, it wasn't. And I think a major part of that is actually the Fugitive Slave Act in a way that students are not always fully aware of. Mr. Chase, could you say more to that point? Yes, absolutely. So one of the things to think about, guys, you, you got to know your compromises, right? Eight, our, our big three that we're going to check off, 18, 1820, the Missouri Compromise, Compromise 1850 with California, and then Kansas-Nebraska Act in 1854. And what you'll notice within those compromises is the, the, the evolution, if you will, of slavery um, as a political issue to a moral issue. And, and so what that means is that slavery was um, able to be discussed in, in a political sense where, you know, your, your various parties, your northern senators and southern senators, your northern and southern congressmen, were able to essentially reach deals and, and make compromises over the issue of slavery. And the thing to think about is as the years move on, okay, slavery becomes more and more controversial, becomes more and more provocative, um, and people begin to sort of uh, feel uh, more strongly about it. And once that happens, it's sort of like all bets for compromise are off. And um, it's, it, I always kind of, it's a mantra I always repeat in class over and over again, but what, what can't you compromise? And that is um, a moral issue. And what makes slavery a moral issue are a variety of different things. Um, one of the one that the College Board loves to drop is the role of like Harriet Beecher Stowe and Uncle Tom's Cabin, and how that polarizes public opinion over the issue of slavery, especially in the North. Um, to other events uh, like the Dred Scott case of 1857, which makes it constitutionally legal everywhere. Um, to you know fanatics like John Brown, who Ms. Basson loves as well. Uh, tearing things up in Harper's Ferry in 1859. I love my favorite part of J the John Brown story. Well, there's so many parts, parts, excuse me. But like when he meets up with Frederick Douglass and he's trying to get him to like join, right, join up with him. And Frederick Douglass is like, listen, I love your fire, but like that's not going to work. That's not yeah. you know, Speaking of you know, Frederick Douglass, right? So all of this abolitionist activity and reform that had, you know, taken off during the Second Great Awakening, during... 1820s, 1830s, really winds up being catapulted into like mainstream America in a way that it had not been. It was like this really these pet movements by middle class, upper middle class 
uh, white Americans, and it wound up becoming, again, it's not like widespread, like people, you know, on the cusp of civil war in the North are not like, oh, slavery is super evil, we need to defeat it. But it's certainly in the 1850s, especially the second part, 1855 onwards, you're starting to see much more uh, spirited and in some cases violent rhetoric associated with extinguishing, you know, the curse of slavery. And, and it seems to me that there has been a lot of emphasis over the years from the college boards and on like the role, for example, of like the Kansas-Nebraska Act, 1854, which is about opening up territories north of the 3630 line um, to the question of slavery and popular sovereignty and Stephen Douglas, hey, can we have these areas open to slavery when they weren't supposed to be according to the law? And so what you start to see um, you start to see uh, a mini civil war, in a sense, of um, anti-slavery forces versus pro-slavery forces in Kansas that also is going to lead to the, the birth of the Republican Party, um, which is the party of Abraham Lincoln. Um, and, and that is obviously going to kind of propel us even closer towards uh, civil war um, in 1860 with his election. Chat a little bit about how uh, the AP exam, if they even ask you a question about this period, which they might, they might not, um, does not care about battles. What they care more about is how war is used as like a diplomatic tool. So what yeah. you know, changes for women during the Civil War, uh, both in the North and the South, what changes for uh, Black Americans uh, during the war, right? Groups who uh, participate in um, emancipation, so that's what they're looking for. They're looking for things like when Lincoln suspends habeas corpus, um, which was met with you know violent anger and derision. Um, there's really some great moments in the film Lincoln that we watched earlier in the year about that. Um, this the garbage truck noises are super like a nice little addition to this podcast. Like you're here in my house with me. Um, but I think that you guys have a pretty good handle on that. But you don't need. I mean, listen, you need to know about turning points. For the Civil War, you need to learn about, you know, uh, like, for example, when he issues the Emancipation Proclamation, he uses what as his momentum to issue this? You're well, kicking that to me? Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking at you. I'm closing the window because it's so loud. But keep it, keep okay. It. Yeah, yeah, you got it. So um, it's Antietam, right? It's the, it's really the, the kind of the two wars that, or the two, three battles maybe that you need to know of in terms of contextualization for other events, one would be the Confederate attempt to invade the North in September, right? And then in, in, uh, of 1862 in Antietam, that's in Maryland though, when we say North, it's not North to us, it's still South. Um, it's the Confederate attempt to invade the North of Gettysburg in 1863, which leads to the Gettysburg Address, right? So that's where you bring in contextualization there. And then it's gonna be, you know, Sherman's march to Atlanta in 1864, which is gonna then lead to Lincoln's reelection. And then, I mean, other than that, like, those are like your three main Those battles that you, you need to be familiar with. Like you don't even need to know the actors that are involved in it really, um, but just how it affects uh, Lincoln or how Lincoln reacts to it really. Yeah, I think the Emancipation Proclamation, the Gettysburg Address, and then at the same time, his suspension of habeas corpus. Um, and then that's the kind of question you see, you know, how is he uh, a tyrant? How is he democratic, lowercase d? And that's a really interesting uh, question to explore because he's such a celebrated and honored president, you know, to the point that, you know, he's, he's probably, he's always in the top five, most beloved, yeah. right? Um, so why don't we do this? Why don't we um, invite our guest? 
Yeah, I think we need a southern perspective. We need a southern perspective. So, so let's let's get him on 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 the line, so to speak. So that was a really. I love the interludes, by the way, that you're plugging in. The, oh. the music. I think that yeah. they have to add some some uh, dynamic interest, some some depth, some substance to our podcast. But we have a we got a, a new a new and improved guest. I'm so excited to welcome uh this this veteran who's seen some things and i'm gonna really hand it over to, to sean to to continue this interview which i think is really going to be illuminating about so many different things yeah so i um I've, I've been in contact for you guys with the world's uh oldest surviving confederate uh civil war veteran and um i reached out to him which took a while as you can imagine and he uh, he agreed to come on to uh, today's uh, podcast but can, can you go i believe your name is Adel, adelbert is that correct that 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 is correct sir um adelbert granville the third is now that's a unique name adelbert um where or how did you get is that i mean how, what did it how did you get that name well you know obviously being being at my age um, times have changed. I've, I've seen so much and there's not many Adelberts left. Uh, however, uh, it was my grandpappy who was the first Adelbert Granville uh, who uh, opened up a distillery down here in Knoxville. And, uh, and yeah, we, uh, our family has been living in Tennessee ever since. I was about to ask what state you were from. I couldn't quite place your accent, but I'm so glad that you're here today live from Tennessee to give us some, um, some of your own perspective. Uh, well, any, any, anything I can do to help out your guys' little radio cast here, I'm happy to do. <laughs> so we need all the help we can get. I think this is really going to help our listeners grapple with some very I think so. historical themes. Now, uh, Adelbert, did you have uh, a favorite um, a favorite time you're, uh, that you can think back to in the Civil War? Did you have like a favorite battle or? Well, um, of course, I uh, participated in um, in the War of Northern Aggression, and um, the uh, for me it was uh, it was the Battle of Bull Run, the first one that I first one participated in. Just 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 to show you here, I've got my um, the medal. Uh, I earned for no, participating, participating in that battle when we tried to ramrod those Yankees out of Virginia. Um, and for those of you who cannot see us in the podcast, Adelbert did actually hold up a medal. It was, um, it was well, and, and good for you for holding on to that for so many years. I'm sure if you went on Antiques Roadshow, it would probably fetch a pretty, pretty price. Now, Adelbert, did you um, did you happen? I mean, the, you know, one of the lore, the lore of the Civil War is there's so many, or the romantic romanticization of it, and the way in which people look back upon it nostalgically, which we'll talk about in a second. Reconstruction, like, did you did you have a favorite like Confederate general? Oh, of course, of course I did. Who would that have uh, been? His name was Jubal Early. What? Uh, see, wait, can you say that again? Jubal yeah. Early. That's J U B A L. Early, uh, he was given the nickname Jube by none other than Robert E. Lee. Uh, oh, wow. and he was the general at the first Battle of Bull Run, where I fought. Uh, sadly, and uh, I'm sure you guys know this, so I'm not telling anything you don't know. He uh, he fled to Canada after uh, after we lost the war, 
And uh, upon his return to Virginia, he ended up falling down a flight of granite steps and he died. It was a sad, sad day. It was, uh, Those must have been some large steps. 1894, I believe, we, we lost Jubal. Uh, and uh, I have... Flight of granite steps after he... Uh, what a way to go. That's I, I, I do believe he may have been pushed, but I can't, I can't say that with certainty. That would, be a, that would be a fun, you know, dinner murder mystery night to explore. You, so, Adelbert, this has been... Lady, I do not understand most of the words you are saying or talking about. <laughs> you know what, Albert, same. I can't really understand most of the words. Adelbert, not oh. Albert. I Adelbert. I, so I got a I got a I got a question for you before we we let you go. Like, but so like, what do you what do you do for fun? Like, Nat, the war's over. You lost. Like, what what happens now? What's next for Adelbert? Or well, yeah, um, you know, uh, I I still do what I did uh, way back in the day. I, I sit out on the veranda of my house. Um, on my right, I've got a glass of my family moonshine, right from the distillery. Wow, packs quite a punch. You Yankees would not be able to handle that one lick. Oh my goodness! Uh, I've got my pot, which I will uh, I will smoke and uh, just kind of look upon the fields that my grandpappy uh, he worked himself. Uh, and I think back to all the wonderful times of the war uh, and uh, how lucky I am to still be around. Talk with you, you Northerners. Well. Thank you, Adelbert, for, for being here with us and really shedding some light on what it was like to be uh, a, a player, a bit player, let's be honest, in, in the Civil War, but, but one nonetheless. Yeah, thanks, Albert, for joining us. It's uh, I, an honor, question mark, I, I guess, but... Well, you know, you didn't ask me who uh, my least favorite Yankee was, and now oh, I'll that's have, right, I'll that's have right. Well, I didn't, right want, I didn't want to provoke you. Well, I'll tell you right now, with the way you've been treating me here at the end, that it may just be you. <laughs> you mean Sean Chase? Uh, whatever the young man's name is with the beer. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks, Adelbert. I appreciate okay. that. I'll, I'll hang up now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> thanks, all right, so that was, that was great fun. I'm glad he came. But it, it does speak to a larger point about uh, the nostalgia that develops. It's actually really post you know, Reconstruction, but why don't we, we'll, we'll try to focus a little bit on um, Reconstruction and yeah. efforts to rebuild the country um, and how that kind of goes. And um, I'm, a, I'm fingers crossed that there's a, a DPQ about reconstruction because that would be great. That would be amazing. I've been, and I'm glad we, we kind of cut Attleboro off at this point because he probably would be very uh, animated during yeah. this section. I think, well, when you're a revisionist historian, oftentimes facts can be tricky for you. So, yeah. um, so obviously, reconstruction is about rebuilding uh, the country, but most importantly, the former Confederacy. Uh, reincorporating it into the country. So there's a lot of different things at play and not just rebuilding the country, but there's also different perspectives about the best way to do that. Um, and one of the scenes I actually have to say that I like best in Lincoln is the conversation that takes place between uh, Lincoln and Thaddeus Stevens played, I gotta be honest, Tommy Lee Jones really kills that role. It's just fantastic. Um, it's great, uh, but it's a really it's a really interesting conversation to see how two Republicans, one fairly moderate and one fairly radical, right, um, wants to 
rebuild the country. I love that radical Republicans are called radical because they want to give black Americans like rights. <laughs> they're like, oh, they're crazy. They're just nuts that they want to take that land and like redistribute it. Like, I don't think necessarily those ideas are radical, but certainly even Republicans at the time are concerned about uh, what that, what that's going to look like. And as a result of reconstruction, you see the passage of the 13th, the 14th and the 15th amendments. Um, and with all of that change, a lot of change makes a lot of people distinctly uncomfortable, obviously not just in the South, but also in the North. Um, and although there is a lot of change, long-term, not much uh, actually does change. So we wanted to talk a little bit more. Yeah, about and, the, and, and what's important to keep in mind the, during this attempt at reconstruction is that it's really like a, it's a three-step process. If you, or there are three different phases, elements you can, yeah. To it, it's like, and it's all about who's going to control um, Reconstruction itself, right? And and the two goals of Reconstruction, it's it's sort of a it's a national reconciliation and a national reunification, right? But and then who's going to control it? Is it going to be the president, um, which is obviously going to have run into problems because the president gets shot and killed, and then you have Andrew Johnson trying to do what he thinks the president's going to do, and then he just kind of goes off and does what he wants to do. Um, and then you have Congress that you mentioned with your radical Republicans who are, in a sense, um, reacting to what's going on in the South and with the attitude of, like, who won this war anyways? Um, and so is the president going to control Reconstruction? Is it Congress that's going to control Reconstruction? And then finally, um, one of the themes you always talk about a lot, Ms. Bass, I know in your classes, is that over time, Northern um, congressmen or the Northern appetite for reconstruction wanes like people just stop caring they don't they, they kind of give up on it and then when you start to see sort of that shift in the political attitude of northern congressmen that's when you see southern states slowly creep back in and begin they begin to control the process of reconstruction themselves yeah and i think that's i think that's really important just because if you're talking about larger issues like larger reform movements anytime you're going to see major change political social and economic change um it's incremental right yep. And so I think it's important to note that uh, during Reconstruction, there's a tremendous amount of change in a very short period of time. Um, and as a result of, of the rapidity with which all of this happens, I think that Northerners by the end of the 1870s um, are really just apathetic. They're disinterested. And there's a, a ton of other things that are going on um, that make what's happening in the Confederacy uh, or the former Confederacy not particularly interesting. Also, um, if you're dealing with the major concern of radical Republicans is making uh, life for black Americans less dangerous and more equitable. Um, but there's very few people who are invested in the emotional and physical security of, of black America. Uh, and certainly by the end of the 1870s, those voices, many of, of them have been um, you know, silenced, in, in, like the fact that Daddy Stevens dies, Charles Sumner dies in the 1870s, and without that leadership of, of radical Republicans, you're going to really start to see, by, by the end of the 1870s, with the election of Rutherford B. Hayes, uh, a complete rejection, um, really, of, of Reconstruction policy, so that all of those gains that are made um, between 1865 and 1877, right, are, are kind of, they're like a moot point, and then the South, what it seeks to do, the Confederacy and other parts of the United States, obviously, are just trying to recreate what antebellum life was like. And they're very successful. Um, and they have the tacit support of the federal government. 
Yeah, and, and then just and, and to finish with that bookend and kind of wrap it up for everybody, um, that eight, that 1877 date um, is key because there is a presidential election in 1876 with, um, this is when we get into your bearded presidents, right? Rutherford B. Hayes, who no one would ever really think about, and Samuel J. Tilden, who's a, a Democrat from New York. Um, and there are disputed election results in the states of, and help me out, I think Florida, South Carolina, and Louisiana, which should come as no surprise, hotbeds of the, con the Confederacy. And, um, and, and because of these disputed results and an unclear winner in this uh, electoral college, but you do have uh, popular votes, so I think would, even Tilden was leading at the time, a deal was made. And it, it was, um, and Northern and Southern congressmen got together and decided to give uh, the election to Hayes, who's from Ohio, um, in exchange ultimately for uh, federal interference to be gone from the South. And for the last few districts that were under basically federal military occupation, those troops would leave um, and the United States government would be out of these Southern states and then that's when you start to see sort of the rise again, or not again, but the rise of the Jim Crow South. Yeah, and, uh, it, and it's pretty quick, right? So, because the KKK begins in 1866 with Nathan Bedford Forrest, but it's pretty quickly um, quelled, right, by the, by the Force Act. But, yep. but the resurgence of the KKK doesn't really take place until the later part of the 19th century. But Black Americans uh, in, in the former Confederacy are barred from from public life, from private life, right? Their life uh, becomes segregated in a way that it really hadn't been um, right. in slavery, like all of these new and insidious ways of limiting the rights and movement of black Americans uh, is reinforced sharecropping, right? Which affect, affects, you know, black Americans disproportionately, but also white poor Americans. Uh, you, you see, um, what else? What else? Uh, sharecropping and the KKK, uh, black code restricting the movement of black Americans, where they can go, what they can do. Um, and when the federal government uh, relinquishes control of, of Reconstruction in 1877, it's essentially communicating to Southern politicians at the state level, you can really kind of handle this how you want. Yep. Yep. So I think we, I think we covered the range of, uh, of topics. Yeah. Comments. No, I'm kidding. Don't leave comments. No, leave comments. Um, and so we'll we'll try to put together a period six review coming up. But uh, t I hope you listened, and I hope you liked it, and and we'll we'll chat soon. Woo! Thank you. Thank you.